Chariot Developer News, episode number 82 for Monday, March 10th, 2014. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Confino. I'm Eric Snyder. And we're here to talk about all things we find interesting in technology. You can find us if you found us on the Google search at uh, chariotsolutions.com slash devnews, which is where our show notes are. We have subscription links and uh, you can get to us that way. Also, you will find us uh, doing things on Twitter with at TechCast and also our various names. This week, we got a bunch of stuff. I was out last week, uh, busy doing the training thing, um, just completely overloaded, and the weather came in, and that just shut me down completely. So we took a week off, um, but you know we have a lot of stuff going on, so I guess we should probably get started then. Um, so the first thing is dashing. Uh, Joel, you found this really cool um, layout for uh, open source dashboards. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Sure. So dashing is a Sinatra-based web framework, so it's Ruby you know, based and let you build uh, dashboards. And so um, if you think of products like Gecko board that have these beautiful dashboards, uh, it's kind of like that, but it's open source and it gives you these pre-made widgets and the HTML and the JavaScript. And it's uh, really nice. So they say under the covers, it's powered by Batman JS. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything powered by Batman has to be pretty cool. And um, <laughs> I'm Batman. There. it has a really, um, you know, nice demo. So dashing demo, .herokuapp.com, and you can see these beautiful widgets. And There's tons of widgets for just about anything you could think of, really. Yeah, so I'm actually excited. We're probably going to, at some point, prototype this in Hadle and just, you know, um, any kind of dashboard thing that you might have. Um, it's open source. It's Ruby. So if you've got a Rails app or well, this is a Sinatra app, um, yeah. you know, it's uh, pretty neat. And I was really excited when I found it. Yeah, it's cool. You've got things like CircleCI and um, GitHub and Foursquare and all these other things and project things with Jenkins and all sorts of plugins you can mix in. So looks like it's great for a CI team or for a development team that wants to keep track of everything that's going on, all their metrics and such. Yeah, and this comes from Shopify. So okay. this is something that they uh, open sourced for everybody. So uh, kudo- kudos to them. They're they're all they're all over the place. I mean I mean they're they're Shopify. They have a lot of good open source stuff. This morning I just was coincidentally looking at something called Sarama. Which I've been looking at Apache Kafka, which is like a kind of a message broker. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And they had somebody at Shopify wrote a Go library for it. Wow! Um, so they they have a lot of good stuff. They're the makers of Active Merchant. If you're curious, that's another pretty popular plugin for uh, Rails applications, for example, too. Very interesting stuff. Uh, this is kind of interesting. So software patents, we all kind of talk about them and kind of hold our noses as open source uh, developers. You know, when we see, you know, companies fighting for things like, you know, GIF and other formats and such. So the Free Software Foundation um, joins with the Software Freedom Law Center against software patents. Uh, this is in Free Software Foundation, fsf.org slash news. Um, on Friday, February 28th. It's a little bit older, but it's kind of important. Uh, It's mentioning that on March 31st, the Supreme Court of the United States will hear oral arguments in the case in which the court has granted certiori, my wife would know this, certiori, apparently to decide a question previously reserved under which circumstances patents may be granted for inventions implemented in computer programs. Hmm. So this is happening. They're really going to have this uh, big deal um, uh, around, you know, whether software patents are legitimate. Good. And yeah. uh, who is it? John Sullivan, SF, FSF Executive Director, uh, said, we are proud to be a party to SFLC's brief, along with the open source OSI. Software patents should be opposed not just by all computer programmers and users. They should be opposed by anyone who values freedom of expression. And I think so. Based on what I've seen people patent, 
give me a break. I agree. It's just a way for them to like beat each other up through some other channel. I mean, there's like two things that should be patented, like TCP/IP and the Linux kernel. You know, and which are open that, source. Too bad. <laughs> yeah, right. So other than that, forget it. You just want that guy to get really rich. I just, I, if you're a patent inspector, I just don't. I want. I, I I'd like to talk to one of those guys. There's this thing called prior art, which is called thinking. Yeah. Right. I mean, everyone has to think through and put together an algorithm or something. And if and if you're gonna make my job as a software developer so tough that I can't even write a loop. I mean, yeah. I'm exaggerating only a little bit. Oh here. no, no. So, somebody has patented the concept of helper functions. What was that? Do you remember that? Are you kidding me? Uh, I think we might have read that on yeah, there. Yeah. 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 Or you know, iteration, iteration, or something like that. Or, yeah. you well, know. one click still gets me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, not to, to trash everyone all all at once, but uh, we hope that at some point this becomes something that makes sense because you know anything that stifles creativity in our industry when everything moves fast except the law, you know, I mean, then what are you going to do? You're going to be slowed down by worry about being sued. So. Hey, you know, we're all for uh, removing uh, software patents where possible. Right. So for Hadle, which is an enterprise Q&A product, you know, we looked into patentability. So I had, I got people telling me uh, from both sides, you know, um, people who say, and we talked to patent attorneys who said, you know, don't bother. You could find some kind of patent, but it's not going to be uh, anything that's worth it to you. So in other words, he said, you're going to come up with a patent for, you know, let's just say a three-legged stool as the example this attorney told me. And charged me a lot of money when he told me this but <laughs> and and what yeah. somebody else is going to do is they're going to make the they're going to make a three-legged stool where the one leg is bent a little bit and it's going to basically be the same thing but because you know patents are so specific they're kind of easy to slip you know it's easy to create something that that doesn't violate that so that was one opinion like so don't bother patenting uh -huh. i had a couple other people from startups say bother patenting um i know one startup well not even that much of a startup they're a pretty successful small business at about 120 people and very successful in revenue they said they've successfully used patents to uh keep competitors out of the market. Of course, that would be the argument for not having patents, right? <laughs> to allow yeah. competitors into the market. But just the whole threat of any kind of legal action, you know, can crush most people because they can't afford millions of dollars, you know, into in, up in lawsuits. And I mean, I personally think it, it provides zero benefit to society or to, you know, but sometimes when you're uh, in an environment where your competitor may try to patent what it is you do, you might actually have to go down that route just to stay in business, you know, basically use them for so-called defense. Um, we're not going to do that strategy right now, but it may change. Yeah, you know, um, I, I keep coming back to this book, Unlocking the Sky by Seth Schulman, um, the guy from... Um, uh, what was it? The, the guy who was here from Red Hat, the one year Michael Tiemann mentioned this book, and was it when he was at ETE, and explain how patents in the beginning of flight were locked in by the Wright brothers, and they completely shut down any innovation in flight because they they claimed certain patents on the way wings are shaped, so you really couldn't have anything with wings basically, um, and for I think it was more than ten years. Uh, Glenn Curtis, Glenn Hammond Curtis was the guy that was kind of like just around the same time as them inventing flight and tr trying to build, you know, uh, air airplanes and innovate truly from his own designs um, was shut down and he had to fight for many years to get it opened up. And then we had airline flight, but it, it took that long. It took, you know, over a decade of this patent to be held strongly by the Wright brothers before anything ever opened up. And everyone says, oh, the Wright brothers were the innovators of flight. They were, and then they completely locked everybody else out. I mean, patents are good in a lot of ways. Like for pharmaceutical companies, you have to invest billions of dollars in developing something. You have to give somebody an incentive, you know, to be able to willing, you know, to be able to willing to go through like massive R and D. Sure. But for like a lot of software, you know, there isn't that massive R and D. The barrier to entry isn't, you know, a billion dollars. It's a fine line between like you know, socialist slash, 
you know, locking everything down and, and, and making it so that everything is owned by everybody versus, you know, having single innovators, you know, and so there's got to be some balance. And if the balance is everyone has to look at every patent just to write a line of code, that's just it's not going to work. No, it's com- the system is completely untenable as it is. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Unlocking the Sky, good book. Um, next, let's see here. Um, Chrome version 33. So just that cross across my desk. So <clears throat> how do you even, how do you even realize there's a new version of Chrome? Hackurls.com. Yeah, because I never even pay attention. <laughs> FYI, if you're looking out there, sadly, you'll find a few of my articles there because it's a great aggregator of a ton of different sites. And actually I found that from Rich Friedman. He showed it to me when we were at the Android conference. But um, beyond that, some other things, and it just happened to show up there. But uh, so, so now... Um, you can create new HTML and DOM elements using whatever name you require. That sounds frightening to me. Like angle bracket, hello, space there, space mom, close bracket. Why would I want spaces in my angle brackets and such? Um, but anyway, now there's a new thing called the web speech API. Now, of course, the problem with all these new features is that unless you say only use this version of Chrome or higher, no one's going to use it. Right. You have to do browser detection and everything else. But there's a new um, object called speech synthesis utterance. Synthesis utterance, and it's, you, there's a constructor function for that. So you can create a speech synthesis utterance, and then you can do dot speak on the window. So we can scare people with, instead of blinking screen tags, oh, yeah. if they're on Chrome, say, <laughs> no, no one's going to abuse that, I, I doubt, right? I am. If you can yeah. get that voice, I would use it. All right, I'm changing Rimple.com to go, hello there. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> disturbing everyone on the planet um also uh let's see some changes in plugins controversial updates pdf documents are displayed in the internal viewer by default which is different i guess than they used to be they would open whatever plugin you have configured so there's an internal viewer they will be dropping the netscape plugin api by the end of 2014 i would think it's probably about time for that uh, yeah long <laughs> <Yeah>. overdue <laughs> um but they've also said um Silverlight and Java have been whitelisted, yeah. and Flash <laughs> uses the newer uh, a PP API, whatever that is. Um, and also, another one that I think is probably a somewhat controversial is extensions not hosted in the web store will be automatically disabled. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, assuming that you can enable them, they just start install disabled. Correct. And I guess yeah. it's a safety thing, you yeah. know, for their quote unquote walled garden. It's really not that walled, well, well, but it's, extensions you know. are pretty powerful. I mean, extensions, aren't they? It wasn't there a big thing when, you know, there was active X controls and they could take over your whole machine. Well, let me but tell you. But you still have to install them, right? So you it's. You do, but they can be really easily installed. Like yeah. you just click on a link and it just sort of installs. It's really right, not right, right. very accurate yeah. gotcha. to people who are not really, you know, they may be like on a site and it just says, Hey, click this. Right. And you and then click. Okay. And you know, in ActiveX, the big joke was it gave you like 25 security warnings, but every site said, and just click. Okay. 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 <laughs> you know, so you would just ignore all the security warnings. Right. So, so this article was from site point from Craig Buckler. Um, and I'll, I'll post a link to the show notes, which again, you can get at chariotsolutioncom slash dev news for episode 82. I found a new language, everybody. There's new languages every hour. <laughs> this, this, I mean, next to Go, this is probably the worst name for a language Q. I've heard in a while. Yeah. I'm, We've got Z and R. Well, it's Zed, but you know. <coughs> Zed. You know, was, it, was it made in, uh, in Canada? Canada? No, this was, um, I believe, um, England. Oh, okay. Well, that's also possible. Um, so Q is a data language. Uh, now, it looks like this is kind of an emerging language because it says, for now, it is a limited to a data definition language like JSON slash XML schema. And now this is the big statement on the page, q-lang.io, but the correct way. So <laughs> um, so you, on the left, they show a nice little um, 
what I can understand to be a JSON document uh, talking about a patient with symptoms and their temperature. On the right, they have this um, syntax for Q, which I guess is a programmatic syntax for validating things as opposed to being like an XML schema. Um, and then you could, you know, drop a patient in and let it validate and come back with different various error messages based on the names of the configured uh, settings. Um, so they're basically saying that the main goals of this thing is to make it easy to validate data input with this library, um, you know, coercing different types from low level to high level to kind of, you know, turn a bunch of fields into a customer, for example. Um, <clears throat> also, JSON doesn't really have a type system. It's just basically um, strings. And also, there's no specific time type, for example, in JSON. You kind of have to use, you know, what are various built-in formats or a number. Um, and uh, let's see, documenting data types and schemas. So just interesting, um, there's a binding for Ruby QRB, and that's out there now. So if you wanted to parse documents and process data back and forth with Q, with Ruby, you could do that. There's also a project that looks pretty new, uh, Q in JavaScript. I would think that's the most important one to me. Um, and it looks like I have to wait a little bit for it. But the language is called Q-Lang, and it seems to be mostly around data coercion, data conversion, parsing of data formats. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> the beta directory of Gradle plugins. Was this me? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, you I must have been, you know, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of travel. Um, there is a website, uh, uh, and Andreas Almire, who we interviewed years ago um, for... Um, What's what's Griffin? Griffin is the thing he wrote. Oh, okay. The uh, it's a way you can make swing swing stuff. Yeah, swing Gradle style, right? Something like that ish. And um, it's a neat framework. But um, so he's been spending some time on his GitHub pages, putting together an unofficial list of Gradle plugins, because Gradle is one of those things where you kind of have to learn the plugins because that's eighty percent of what things are, right? Um, and so he has the website for each one, just a little simple documentation site for it. So if you were curious how to configure the Heroku plugin, um, they have a real quick getting started there and a website link to it and so on and Jenkins and all these other tools. So that's aalmirey.github.io slash gradle dash plugins. And again, we'll post that in the show notes. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's skip to somebody else's stuff because I've been doing all <laughs> mine up front. Countdown to Windows XP expiration. I heard about this. So yeah. XP will be no more exactly when? One month. But if we actually, let's open up this little calendar. This is uh, Microsoft's own calendar. So they, they are apparently taking glee. 28 days, 9 20, hours. Yeah, 25, 25 minutes. minutes. Awesome. Well, so what does this mean? It means that theoretically, well, actually, what it really means is that a huge number of Windows XP machines that are out there in the wild, so something like 25%, I'll get the statistic. So but, all, all of the uh, Windows instances in Asia, basically? Correct. Well, there's a huge number in China that are never yeah. updated. That's yeah. actually, Microsoft reported that. But then really? there's, yeah, they're blocked from getting regular updates, but there's a huge amount of XP instances all over the world, and they'll immediately basically become compromised. I think I heard 80 million or something like that. It's some yeah, crazy it's, it's number. It's a very large percentage like a third or a quarter of all the PCs like in the world are actually running XP. So as soon as Microsoft, I, I'm supporting them and Microsoft wants to get rid of it. But the downside is that because uh, when new security patches come out, they won't come out for XP. People reverse engineer it, figure out the flaw. Yeah. And basically, you know, like, 
25 to 33% of the world's PCs will be pwned within the first month. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that a good chunk of these are already pwned. <laughs> That's probably yeah. true, actually. Yeah. We may be actually but, finding where all of the attacks are coming from, right? Yeah. But it'll be um, interesting because, uh, well, hopefully Windows 8 will die, but that might take a little while. Uh, it certainly could have an effect on corporations, and I can tell you from experience, plenty of corporations are still using Windows XP. You know, they Vista killed them. They weren't going to go to Vista. And, um, you know, so there, there's still a lot of Windows XP out there. It's amazing how a really, really bad migration like that keeps people gun-shy for a decade. It's true. You know? It says right here in, in the Windows, Microsoft.com Windows site, says, how do I migrate off Windows XP? Buy anything new. <laughs> Take your computer, push it off the desk, go to Best Buy, pick up something. <laughs> That's the migration strategy. Oh, my. <laughs> April. It's going in April. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of botnets. <laughs> they come online around May. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to work backwards now. Um, man denies he's the Bitcoin founder. Let's talk about this one. This is oh, going to be good. This is awesome. Yeah, this is funny. So there's yeah. been a lot of Bitcoin news recently um, and a variety of uh, some, you know, tragic um, and some of it um, just business. You know, so uh, there was a person highly profiled with the uh, uh, associated with Bitcoin, who unfortunately uh, took their own life. Um, there was the Mount Gox, I think you say, yep, the, yep, the major yep. Bitcoin exchange went bankrupt. And now this... Uh, well, no, first they lost a lot of people's money. Yeah, they, and lost, then they, they, went lost, they lost most of the money they had oh because, you know, that whole you have to protect the keys thing. But they're easy to lose because they're small and you could drop them down a drain or something. And then you've got this <laughs> man who they they found who they believe, well, one journalist believes is the founder of Bitcoin, right, so they basically, but then he denies it. Yeah, he denies it. They basically um, uh, kind of wrecked this guy's life for a little while. I completely I mean, agree. This is like some aggressive journalism here. I agree. He, th if they're right, they're taking a man who wants to desperately be private, yeah. who lives in a regular house. Whose name just happens to be the last same last name. Now, I mean, there's definitely, they have some very conclusive coincidences, right? Timelines that match up. Yeah. So, and when they spoke to him, he did give an answer that seemed very much to, in my opinion, indicate that he was involved with Bitcoin. But even if he is the guy, I'm which with you. he denies, it still seems... Pretty pretty skeevy. Totally, because yeah. he's because according to this article, he's worth something like six hundred million dollars. So here's a man who doesn't live in a six hundred million dollar bunker. He just no. lives in a regular house. Right. And you've just told everybody in his whole county that he's worth bazillions of dollars. Right. That could put his life in danger. Yeah. yeah no I kidding. mean, he's going to be the house you're going to rob. I mean, give me a break. They actually show pictures. Now this is pretty nasty. I think they show pictures of his house. So and they have the address spray painted on. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think the address of his house is spray painted on the um, drop cloth around a car. Wow. If that's what it is, 9170, whatever that is. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, I mean, now that, Why face, would you do that? now that his name is faced out, well, I mean, it certainly makes, uh, you know, it, it's a question that people have wondered, obviously, this mysterious, this mysterious thing. And what's the, the journalism, the reporter, you know, followed this sounds like, I think for, for months or a year and they, they interviewed, they talked to him. Um, not telling him that they were reporting him for Bitcoin. Talk to him about other things that he's interested in. They talk to his family members, and uh, apparently this this individual is a genius, and he's very reclusive, and he's like many geniuses are, and, yeah. his, and he's very private. And the <clears throat> timelines of when he was essentially unemployed fit very well with the timelines of when Bitcoin was around. And his name happens to be the name of the person who's the Bitcoin founder. <laughs> Just nobody knew that it didn't know if that was a real person's name or a pseudonym. Um, so it, I think it seems legit because when they met the guy, he said uh, he's no longer involved. He left it to with some other people. Yeah, but there was another posting uh, on, I think it was uh, some forum somewhere. It might have 
been somewhere in Reddit. I'm not quite entirely sure, but um, from a known address of the actual guy mm-hmm. who's saying that that person is not me. Could you imagine? Oh, yeah, is that right? Now? Yeah. Could you imagine oh, so the Bitcoin founder come? would have actually come out of hiding enough just to say this guy isn't me? If you can believe that post, you know, yeah, but it was like a known address. That could be someone on Reddit. Yeah. Because <laughs> the Bitcoin, yeah. the official Bitcoin people, whatever loose conglomeration of developers said that they don't think that this guy's the guy or they have no proof that he is. I don't know. I don't want to be uh, declared missing in an hour, but I don't believe the whole <laughs> Bitcoin thing has a future. If, if this is... Oh, I disagree. Two, you don't think? Absolutely. Cryptocurrency. I, I'm not saying uh, whether... When people I, lose lots of money not, in it, it's the faith the official, will be... What's the official uh, um, wording you're supposed to say? Um, there's Full no, faith and credit. No, no investment advice uh, should be... Yes. You know, oh, right. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, you if must it, have if it wasn't apparent, we don't know anything about investing. <laughs> I actually have some Bitcoin, not much. Uh, you have Bitcoin? Bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's why you're saying this. Go well, ahead. Look, it's a, it's a risk-reward <laughs> thing, right? It's it a small risk to, to buy a little bit of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A high potential for reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you don't if you don't spend too much money, you know, you could lose a little. Um, well, it's like anything. You're not going to put your house in Bitcoin. But, but there, there's a real future in cryptocurrency. Absolutely. But maybe yeah. not Bitcoin. I guess. I don't know. Maybe Bitcoin. Why not? <laughs> what if you invested all of your? Well, I don't, what the heck was Mt. Gox anyway? Was it you bought them from Mt. Gox and they held on to them for you? No, no. Th- so you have to really have to get into it. There's a whole concept of of uh, like, like online wallets and hot storage and cold storage. So if you look at like Coinbase.com, places like that, they have they have they call it the hot wallet and the cold wallet. So, okay, what are they? Uh, the cold wallet is offline. So ninety seven percent of their resources are offline. Okay, like, physically offline. Like so, right? Uh, it's still quite unclear what the heck went on with Mt. Gox. Um, <laughs> they they've had some very questionable practices for a while right. now. So. Um, I guess what I'm saying is uh, th- that may not be the business model to make it happen, like in terms you know, of that particular company type. But yeah, I mean, I would think that if there is some sort of feature in cryptocurrency, it, you would think it would be, you know, backed by something bigger than something like that or something more, you know, official or, you know, safer. Well, well, this certainly combined with the um, Silk Road, the whole, you know, illegal right. goods, basically eBay for drug dealers and stuff would it. It definitely makes it hurts Bitcoin's brand or makes it seem like it's more for pirates or something for now. Maybe doesn't temporarily, mean, yeah. Doesn't mean, I mean, it's still so popular that uh, it doesn't mean that it won't recover. Well, you know, there's a lot of legit Wall Street type operations that are spinning up right now around Bitcoin. Okay. True. And like, so it's not like Dogecoin when, and a lot of those guys. Right. So when, when this particular exchange is gone, that doesn't mean that Bitcoin is pretty much pooched. No, there's a lot of them. Okay. But yeah. it, hurts, right. it hurts confidence. It'd be like, a, I mean, it'd be like, you know, Lehman Brothers going out of business or something. Gotcha. Exactly. But, but then um, it's kind of interesting. I was out at a meetup, a uh, tech meetup in Lancaster and um, met somebody there who has involved with a startup and his startup is to actually put uh, Bitcoin ATMs around. So I didn't get a chance to talk to him about it, but it, I was shocked. That, I was shocked that it's that. Talk th- to Overstock.com started accepting Bitcoin. It's been a windfall for them. Oh, no kidding. So, I mean, like you know, so people are really like using a marketing play. Uh, no, like actual sales. Money. Yeah. Yeah. Income. Well, I mean, it could be also just a good like way to get publicity. Everybody's trying yeah, to get publicity. Sure. You say yeah. we accept Bitcoin and then like he gets on the AP wire and like <laughs> free advertising. And then WikiLeaks, not WikiLeaks. Oh my goodness. I'm sure they'll take Bitcoin. <laughs> no, um, uh, 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 Josie Wales is now taking Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. For Wikipedia hmm. or Wikimedia, I guess. Hmm. All right. Who's wants to talk about a programmer's guide to data mining? Uh, me, me, okay. me, me. Um, so I'm not sure how I, quite how I found this. I sort of stumbled upon it. 
Oh, I know how I found this. You know how on GitHub now they have this thing where you can um, get a daily digest of sort of interesting or most starred repos? No. Well, I'll have to check that they out. Added that, I don't know, like maybe uh, maybe four, five, six months ago. So anyway, I get a, I think it's daily, an email of um, curated repos. I don't, like, I don't know if it's like some employees at GitHub or whatever. Uh-huh. But this was one of them. And uh, it just happens to be on GitHub, but it's basically uh, an open source book i don't I get technically i guess it's open source mm-hmm. so this guy ron uh zakarski he's got a pretty impressive uh resume around machine learning um but uh, he's got eight chapters so far and uh he's going to continue to publish a chapter at a time each of one has a pdf um that you can look at but it's it's uh some really good introduction to data mining and a lot of uh, the examples just happen to be in python they're pro- they're very easy to read yeah uh and uh all around recommendation systems. I did, I've done a little bit of work around this. Um, that's why I glommed onto this. But um, it's basically about things like uh, how, how recommendation systems work, social filtering, um, finding item similarities. So, you know, basically, if you, you're familiar with them in retail websites a lot. But yeah, uh, uh, distance algorithms, uh, K-nearest neighbors, um, all these really cool things. Um, implicit or... Implicit rating. So if you go to, um, like, say, Amazon or uh, Netflix, like, you haven't rated a movie yet, but yet it kind of fills in some of the stars for you. Mm -hmm. Um, That's sort of an implicit rating. User-based and item-based filtering and and just all kinds of really cool things. So I like his book style a lot. It's very clean, sort of simple. All right. That's a neat reference. Um, It's really cool, actually. All right. Guide2datamining.com is the URL for that one. Mm -hmm. Great URL. All right, we're going to keep going backwards because mine are at the end then. Um, <laughs> papers we love, comp sci papers. Uh, okay, so minor correction here. Uh, this is the thing I got off of that kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other one I'm oh, not sure. Oh, yeah, you, I think you might have mentioned this to me a long time ago. Not a long time ago, but a couple months ago. Cool, uh, go ahead. Hit if it. you say so. I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, this is just a GitHub collection of, uh, of comp sci papers. I think it's everything wow. anybody could get their hands on that was freely available. Clone. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, I'm not going to go through it alphabetically, but it starts at API design and it's got <laughs> stuff on garbage collection and data structures and digital currency. That's cool. I didn't even notice hmm. that. Uh, pattern matching operating systems. There's one on sports analytics. That's kind of interesting. Robotics. So, uh, it's just published papers, just collections of PDFs, um, everything you could think of. That's really cool. And GitHub. Yep. Nifte. And there's a Twitter account at papers under we under love. Nice. Yep. Vagrant. Who's the vagrant here? Uh, that would be me. It's a vagrant. Let's talk so, about vagrants. So it says vagrant one five preview. It actually came out this morning, so it's no longer a preview. Oh, did it so nice. to, to yeah. translate for people who don't know what vagrant is, it's a engine creation system or something. Uh, it's basically a virtual machine. Yeah. So it's basically, uh, I know, I know you guys use it at Hiddle all the time, but, uh, I, <laughs> and that's th- why we have you debug our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you this, this, this to me is it's you, you come across those tools every once in a while. They're kind of life changing to me. This is one of them. Right. So you ever sit down, uh, as, at least if you're a consultant, you switch projects fairly frequently. Yes. Sometimes the projects are very different sometimes. Yep. Um, so, you know, you got to set up your environment. That's always the hardest part. You can never get it quite right. And people are using different operating systems and stuff like that. So, you know, well, you say, well, I could do it in a VM. That's fine. You got to set up the VM. And yeah. It's kind of a pain. Uh, Vagrant kind of wraps that all up nicely. So you install Vagrant. Uh, it's available for just about every OS, Linux, Windows, uh, OS 10. 
Um, and you can write, uh, it's in Ruby, uh, what they call a vagrant file, very simple script to, uh, you can set up uh, provisioning. So you can use chef, solo chef, puppet, ansible, or just bash or whatever. Um, and you specify what they call a box, which is just like a sort of like a base image. Okay. Um, so Ubuntu or whatever. Your be. base container, so to speak for the, yeah. uh, yeah. And uh, you can just, you know, hit type Vagrant up and it fires up your a virtual machine, sets up your development environment. So that way, everybody on your team, all they need to do is check out this Vagrant file from uh, from your repo. That's a huge deal. And everybody can get set up, you know, quickly and easily. And it's nice and consistent. That's great. And you're not like polluting your machine full of stuff. And um, yeah, and it's, it works for virtual PC, works with VMware, works with a couple others. Um, so... I just wanted to point out one feature, Vagrant Share, <laughs> of, uh, of Vagrant 1.5. There's a bunch of new features, but Vagrant Share is really cool. Um, so if you sign up, they have a Vagrant Cloud, right? Because everybody's got to get their hooks in the cloud, right? Absolutely. Oh, Vagrant so has a cloud now? They do. Vagrant Cloud, right? So it's beta right now. So it's free, although they reserve the right to charge for it. I love that. I don't know what that means. It means you're going to get hosed later? It means get really into it. And then we'll tell you how. Fix all, fix all the hour. bugs, and then we'll figure out what we can charge for. Exactly. Right. Um, so Thanks to buggers. Vagrant Share is really Here cool. So there's a few pieces to it. So right now on Vagrant, if you want, so let's say you're um, you're doing some some website or something. So you got a Rails app or a Python app or something. You can fire it up in your uh, virtual machine, but you got to do some playing around with the configuration if you want other people to be able to hit your site. So you got to set up either port forwarding the right way, or you got to set up the, the network mapping the right way. You know, mm-hmm. you got to set up the bridging and it might work, but it's only going to work within your network, you know? So, um, if you want people outside your organization to see it or outside your, your, your land, you have to set up some other kind of forward. So anyway, with this guy, all you need to do, um, is just a couple of commands, vagrant share, uh, and you'll get a URL. That's, you know, uses uh, some, you know, you know, the Heroku does it. There's a series of words that yeah. become the URL. Right. And, uh, and then you just, you can give anywhere, anybody anywhere on the internet that URL and they'll hit your. So does it proxy to you basically? And yeah. that, so it's, as long as your computer's running, here's the URL to hit. Right. Or your, so, so your vagrant's running, I should say. Your vagrant's vagrant running. So if, you know, if you're running, you have oh, a geographically cool. dispersed team and fantastic. you're not on the same network or you're not using the VPN or whatever it is, you just give them a URL and they can hit your site. And it could be, and you know, it's fully, it's secure. So you can, uh, you know, you, you can um, make it uh, last for so long. You could kill it whenever you want, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But, uh, so that's very cool. Another cool thing is you can do it with SSH as well. Oh, that's great. And it's secure because it generates a, a key pair for you. Okay. Um, and it'll, it'll, you, you can enter a, you can secure it with, well, you have to secure it with a password. Um, and you have, it's up to you. How so it's you, two layers, at least security then. Dis- yeah. yeah. It's up to you how you distribute the password for the, key, right, for the right. key. But, um, so basically then you could have someone SSH into your instance from anywhere. Um, and then they do the same thing with, uh, sharing a static IP with what they call Vagrant Connect. So if you had like a SOX proxy or something like that. So it's it's just very cool. Um, it's some, some nice stuff they've got coming up. Nice. Okay. That's vagrantup.com is the website for Vagrant. Yeah, because you figure if you're doing fully remote teams, you know, and you say, hey, come over here and look at my console. I mean, you can do screen sharing or something, which works, but you can also just give them this Vagrant URL. Yeah. Yeah, so there's uh, there's like some central registry, you know, in the Vagrant cloud, which, you know, if you buy into, then works pretty well. 
be interesting, I guess, if they open source that, so you could run your own version of that. Uh, you know, there's nothing in the blog about that, and um, so who knows? Okay, Casper Bayer, um, Casper, Casper v on b dot github dot io is his blog i'll post the link to this is too long um has a review of ecmascript 6 now ecmascript is the standards body definition of javascript essentially of the full javascript language specification so ecmascript i think five point i think one is the current version or maybe 5.5 um but anyway ecmascript 6 is coming down the pike it's um going to be ratified in late well was ratified and uh potentially sorry was going to be ratified in 2013 now is targeting ratification in late 2014 um but it's gone through a feature threes and so you know that whole javascript the good parts yeah be prepared to dump a whole more a bunch more things into the bad parts no i'm kidding um <laughs> it looks pretty good yeah they've added things like block scoping which Huge. could be useful, you know, you could do a var inside of a block, like a inside of a for loop. They, they use something called let in, in place of var. So let is defining block local variables. So they go away when you leave the block. You can also do const, which is also like val in Scala. It's a read-only variable. So it's an immutable one. You can only assign it once, essentially. Um, they can do things like destructuring assignments. So you can basically assign parts of a data structure with one var statement, you know, var, let's say it's an array of three things, bracket a comma b comma c equals another array of three things. So you can quickly assign multiple things on either side. Um, here's where it starts getting crazier. Now they do things that are nice, like, you know, default parameter values and, you know, uh, the rest of parameters, like kind of your, your, um, the end of parameters things in, in Java, they've got a spread operator to operate on a number of things, but then they introduce something that makes my head curl classes. Didn't we try to get away from classes in JavaScript? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so now we have class monster and it can extend another thing. So now Pretty we got funny. They called it monster too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you just find a, a constructor and you use the function name constructor for it. Hmm. So yes. And that's like, it's making, the, instead of constructor functions, they have actually class with a constructor function in it. And now we'll have class level stuff. So that's where I, I looked at that and went, no, 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 no. Why are you doing that? We just got out of that world. So we'll have to see what um, new JavaScripters do who are from Java in about a year and a half to program well, I th JavaScript. Well, I, I think this is going to really, I mean, you, we're not going to, you're not going to see this much in that time. It's going to be a long time. On the client side, but in, on, you know. On Node. Yeah. On Node, right. Yeah. That's where it's, that's where you're going to see it. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, some of the nice, re really nice things in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the things, they've got array comprehensions. They've got um, uh, function expressions with an arrow syntax. Um, they've got uh, template strings, which is a nice thing to have. Sure. Uh, but, you know, when you start talking classes, I just eh, put that in the bad parts. I just don't think we should do that in JavaScript. Once you start dealing with classless objects, it's just a simpler world. It, it really is. is. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Functional yeah. programming in classless objects, A+. plus. Put classes in JavaScript, make me cry. <laughs> Tear it up now. <laughs> All right. So that was it. Casper, Casper on vonb.github.io. Uh, we'll put a link to his uh, review. It's a very good uh, detailed review. Thank you, Casper, for that. All right. And coming down towards the end. Uh, I always like these controversial ones, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Cell phone unlocking bill equals, equals, equals total sham. What? Yes. I can't believe it. It's a bill. You're right, Bill. Now you're a law. Never mind. Um, 
that. I got the reference. Got the reference. Yeah. All right. Hey, kids, it's called Schoolhouse Rock. Anyway, um, so the the uh, Unlocking Consumer Choice and Wireless Competition Act, um, HR. Who wrote the bill? 1123. I don't know. Which lobbyist wrote the bill? All of them. Um, so it turns out Zoe Lofgren originally introduced a legislation that had praise from other unlocking organizers. She had one called the Unlocking Technology Act and would permanently legalized unlocking for tablets, cell phones, all wireless devices. That's where my mind is. I bought it. It should be mine. I can do what I want with it. Too bad. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Leave me alone, right? Get out of my lawn, you kids. And um, But it died because um, it was also trying to correct the language of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act to clarify the original t- intent of Congress, which was basically not to, you know, make corporations own all your stuff, right? Um, specifically, copyright law should be used to prevent piracy, not to limit consumer freedom. So I was all about that. It was shunned aside for a toothless bill penned by Bob Goodlatte. Is that right? Re- uh, I can go for good latte right yeah, now. Yes, actually, yeah, yeah, I know. Me too. I think it's time to pray. After we're done, let's go for a good latte. The CITA spent $12.35 million in... 2012 and had a seat at the table when he drafted and then made last minute changes to unlocking legislation. So now this is how messed up it is. It's legal to unlock, but you're not allowed because basically unless you're an expert yourself, the tools and services necessary to unlock a phone remain illegal. Right. What? Don't inhale. And it reverses the library of Congress's decision until the next time he gets to the side of the matter again. What is it? Every five years? Something I like think, that. Yeah. Some, something like that. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, they did a little bit of, of strengthening for it. Like, for example, um, what is it? The 23rd hour. Oh, yeah. He, so what happens? The 23rd hour when he's building his bill, he added the amendment that denied legal protections to bulk unlockers. By the way, this is from the awesome website, iFixit.org. Mm-hmm. iFixit that rips apart everything. It says, these are all the chips that you're getting in your device. And this is why an iPhone costs, you know, what to, X to make and Y to, to, to sell. You know, that's what they're making on it. Um and so basically they neutered it. Uh, large refurbishers like Gazelle uh, will collect and then wipe phones in bulk and unlock them and put them out there. And now they're going to be denied their activity. Um, it's going to be illegal for them to do things. So bottom line, you know, you're, you're going to be able to do it yourself, but to find out the information is illegal, to use the information is legal, provided you get the illegal access to the information you need. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And it says you can, it legalizes unlocking of cell phones, but not, but other, not tablets. Right. Like what is the difference? Yeah. So if you have a tablet, basically if you have a tablet with a little cell phone chip on it, you won't be able to unlock it. It'll be illegal. Oh my God. It's this stupid. Is so, yeah, this is, hey, Hey, everyone in Congress, no one listens to this, but stupid, 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 stupid. Well, Anyone it, else? It just sounds like fill in the stupid. blank. It's like fill in the blank. Unfortunately, the resulting fill in the blank bill <laughs> has been so neutered by special interests that consumers probably will be better off. It had not been passed at all. That stupid. I would say is lots of legislation. Stupid. Thank you. I'm I'm on my horse there. So remember, I'm the one that said stupid. So if someone comes after you, didn't say it right. Um, <laughs> no, no, I salute that's you. Ken Ken Rimple, Rimple at K Rimple on Twitter says <laughs> this bill is stupid. Okay. <laughs> Well, I think that'll do it probably at this point for my job, my career, <laughs> for ChariotSolutions.com's podcast. Um, so if you want the show notes for this, you can go to ChariotSolutions.com slash devnews. We are episode 82. And uh, a couple things that are coming up I want to point out uh, that are important for you because they're low cost and interesting. We are part of Philly Tech Week. 
uh, Philly Tech Week um, is a week of stuff going on. The week, uh, what the heck is it, from the 5th, I think, to like the 11th, I think, of April. I should have had plans to write this down. It's not quite as good as Philly Beer Week, but it's it's uh, up there. Oh, fourth, I know. 4th to 12th. 4th to 12th, thank you. Close. I just had the endpoints excluded. Uh, anyway, so if you go over to chariotsolutions.com slash training, um, you will see we have two little events there. Uh, they are basically almost full-day hackathons. Uh, first one is on AngularJS. Bring your um, interesting project you want to play with or follow along with me, and I'll try to get you up to speed a bit with Angular. It's a $50 fee for that one. Um, we'll play around with Node, Bootstrap, other libraries. I've been looking at a library I'll mention now. If you're interested in mobile programming with um, Angular, there's a new library called Ionic. I-O-N-I-C framework.com. Download that, play with it, bring it to the thing. 50 bucks, we're only gonna have 10 more seats available. You should probably register now. Uh, and you get a day to hack around with Angular and learn some stuff. We'll talk about how to unit test, how to run it, how to use tools like Grunt uh, to build it. And uh, it'll be interesting. And then on Thursday, if we get enough people, we're going to have one for JavaScript build tools, learning how to put together projects using Grunt and Bower, NPM, uh, using things like JS Hint. We'll talk about, you know, self-executing functions and use strict, uh, testing with Jasmine, things like that. So just kind of all the edges around doing your JavaScript development. And hopefully if you bring things to it, you want to share, great. That's what the whole thing is about. It's a hackathon some training mostly hacking around and learning from each other so again that's going to be on so the first one for the angular js is april 8th 2014 and it's over here in fort washington so is the other one it's on april 10th and they're both 50 bucks and they're yeah we'll, we'll feed you breakfast and lunch and you'll learn something in the process uh and so that's going on we also have an event downtown on saturday the uh fifth i want to say i have to put the notes up but uh we have um one of our people keith um, Gregory, downtown, downtown Philly, Fort Washington. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to downtown Fort Washington and get uh, Wawa. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he's going to be downtown in Philly uh, doing a three hour introduction to AngularJS. That framework's just blowing apart. Tons of people are using it now. Uh, and so that's a third thing. And I know that we're, I think there's one more event that we're doing. There we go. It's, it's, it's Tuesday, uh, April for, uh, April 8th, 6.30 to 8.30, at, uh, that's right, at WHYY. That's it. Yeah, and there's Chariot Tech Talks at WHYY's um, headquarters. Cool. So, yeah, so you can go to 2014.phillytechweek.com and take a look at uh, all the stuff that's going on. They're announcing more things every day from other companies as well and individuals. So if you have some time that week, you might want to block it out if you didn't make it to ETE, which unfortunately is sold out. And by the way, if you did make it to ETE, we just finished doing our schedule. That'll be up online soon. Man, is that a kick butt event. So if you are there, stop by the podcasting booth um, or whatever it's going to be, <laughs> table in the evening of the first night and say hello. All right, that's it. So for the developer news for Monday, um, March 10th, 2014, I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Confino. I'm Eric Snyder. And be more coherent than I am. <laughs> <laughs>